Welcome to an end of summer, beginning of autumn episode of Starts at the Top, our podcast about digital leadership and change. I'm Paul Thomas. And I'm Zoe Ammer. Our podcast brings you interviews with leaders from the public, private and third sector who are using digital to navigate uncertainty and forge a path to the future. Well, we wanted to do this episode a bit earlier in the summer, but um, events conspired against us, I guess somewhat, Zoe. So um, did you have a nice summer? Yeah, it was quite nice to get out and about and go to some gigs and also to have a bit of downtime from work as well. So I spent a couple of weeks in Dorset with the family, which was lovely. How about you, Paul? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. We went to to France and um, I just had a few days with an old university friend in Florence. So I feel quite rested, um, ready and raring to go. Uh, this could be our back to school episode, I guess, um, where we we make some recommendations of books that people can read to get them into the uh, into the spirit of that back to school and back to learning attitude that I know my kids are going through right now. And I suppose yours as well. Absolutely. So September for me and for my children and probably for my husband as well. It's all about that shiny new pencil case feeling of going back (laughs) to school and going back to work. And I don't know about you, but this time of year for me is also synonymous with new books and nice new things to to read and just reinvoking that sense of, of learning that you get with the new term. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about some of the things that we've been reading recently, which we think might be useful for our audience. Yeah, and also a bit about um, how important it is to make time for, for reading. And mm. and, and I, you know, on a personal note, I found it a real struggle this year to to find and make that time. So um, it'd be nice to, to, to get your advice on, on how to do that. I mean, uh, it's again sort of events conspiring against me um the the big impact for for me was at the very beginning of the year my dad passed away and that led to a sort of a, a quite a, a long period of of just focusing on getting the work done and getting through uh life more than sort of spending time uh trying to, to sort of you know grow my brain and 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 um invest time in, in myself it was more about investing time in in other people and so it's it's kind of that's carried on a little bit throughout the year and i found it quite tough to to make the time so any top tips from you on how leaders how our listeners really do carve out that time to make sure they are picking up a book reading learning listening to stuff that's useful it's a real challenge, isn't it, when you've got a really busy mm. diary and especially when for both of us and I know many of the leaders out there, you'll be on back to back Zoom calls for a lot of your, your day and you don't have a lot of mental energy to read. The only times that I found I'm able to do it is in the evening. So I try and down tools at about nine or nine thirty. And generally my kids are safely in bed by then. So I'll try and make sure that I have 20, 30 minutes of reading once I'm in bed or I'll read in the bath sometimes, which is not great for the state of my books. Uh, But (laughs) it at least gives me that gap between being at my desk, working away, uh, and then that time when I really need to unwind and and go to sleep. So it's almost become my commute, if you will, given that we're not commuting every day anymore. The stairs. stairs. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Rather than the train. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, that, that that sounds good, and I think it's it's not to say that no reading and no learning at all has gone on. I think um, thank goodness for for magazines and articles on the internet, all of that sort of short form uh, writing and reading blog posts. That's been that's been fine. I've been able to sort of dip into those. I think it's the action of actually picking up a book. Um, a friend of mine actually, and I think this 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 was helpful for a time. A friend of mine runs a, a Blinkist reading group. Um, and Blinkist is the app I think we've discussed before that that sort of um, delivers a, a summary, I guess, of a, of a book in in usually about ten to fifteen minutes in in little what they call blinks, little sort of segments of of interest. You know, what are the main topics of the book, that sort of thing. And through that, I um, I read in inverted commas four thousand weeks by Oliver Berkman, How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell, and also Hyperfocus by Chris Bailey and. There was one book in in particular called Building a Story Brand by by Donald Miller, where it was uh, the the beauty of Blinkist was almost that I was able to take some of those topics and immediately play them back into some of the the work I was doing in that week, rather than sometimes with a with a book where you have to to sort of digest the the whole thing and then think about well how do I want to use it. It was it was in my ears and it was influencing my, me right from the beginning. I haven't stuck with Blinkist because I find it's not substantial uh, enough and i'd like to to sort of um, get back to the to the book reading but it is a helpful aid to just have that that summary or that review i guess of of the, the content from the book it's really interesting how we're all consuming books in such a different way in the digital age and that in turn impacts on how we're using the learning and how we interact with the learning i've heard similar things to you from other people who are really committed audiobook listeners that it can go in really quickly and you can start using the learning on the fly and i know what you mean because when i'm when i'm reading an actual physical book I find that I have to give myself a bit of space once I've actually finished it to absorb it all and then to put what I've learned into practice. So that's nice. You develop these agile reading practices. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's not to say that uh, we're not listening to countless podcasts. I mean, my podcast consumption, I think, like yours, has just gone through the roof in the last five years or so. Um, my headphones are often in and I'm obviously taking in everything that that's that's going on there but I do miss sitting down and and, and taking in a book so that's uh, my end of year resolution is to make sure that happens but Zoe you have um, read some books that you wanted to talk about so why don't you go into into that now? Absolutely Paul so before we um, move on to talking to one of the uh, authors that we've spoken to recently. Um, I wanted to mention three books pretty quickly that I think have been um, really great learning and I've really enjoyed and I'm sure that a lot of our audience would enjoy as well. Uh, so during the pandemic, I've done a lot of thinking about my mixed race identity. Some of our listeners may know that I'm half Chinese, half English, and I've been trying to educate myself more about what it means to be mixed race because my children are mixed race they are uh, have a blend of Chinese Indian Scottish and English heritage so what I wanted to do was to try and make sure I was better informed so that I can guide them through the process of navigating what I see as the the, the privilege actually of having different identities and and different different areas of, of heritage so a book that I was very excited to read was, and I know you're a big fan of the um, Marvel films. Uh, so the first ever Asian superhero movie, you remember there was uh, a lot of um, lot of press 
coverage of that, Shang-Chi and the Seven Rings, mm. uh, which I saw and absolutely love, uh, featuring Simu Liu. And he's written this incredible book called We Were Dreamers, an immigrant superhero origin story. And the book is largely autobiographical. Uh, it tells the story of how he was born in China, how he grew up in Canada, about his very complex, in places quite dark, relationship with his parents. But the reason why I identified with it, even though I'm not a Marvel superhero, um, and and I thought my listeners, might, our listeners would identify with it as well, is that as someone who has Asian heritage, I think that tension between self-realisation and familial duty is one which which many, many people who, who have that experience may well recognise. Um, so I found that really, really interesting and and really really kind of moving actually the way that he talks about his journey with that and how his relationship with his parents is is now quite strong after some very difficult times and also how he has a much clearer sense of of who he is and feels so strongly rooted in his community so the reason why I thought that would be a good read for everyone is with so many people talking about inclusion and organisations doing work around anti-racism, understanding some of the subtleties and nuances of the mixed race experience feels like a really logical progression from that. So I'm very excited to recommend it to, to everyone. And it's also just a really moving story about how strength of character can become a superpower, uh, because despite the fact that he is obviously this incredible sort of internationally recognized movie star now there was a there were an awful lot of challenges and hard graft that he had to enact to get there and there's something about that strength of character and how that's been forged in the fire that I'm sure a lot of leaders will really relate to. I was just going to say and, and just to to for those people who are into their Marvel comics there was um uh that so that that film was um last year 2021 mm, I yeah think. correct and then this year as well uh, marvel have released on on disney plus the series ms marvel um which was a uh, an even sort of a, a a bigger leap forwards for marvel in terms of their storytelling around diversity um and uh that was based around a, a young um pakistani origin um superhero which again uh, broke loads of um, uh, things that have been taboo or not covered before were were really sort of blown out of the water with with that series. So they they seem to have done a sort of a, a triple header with Black Panther probably being the first where they 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 put a, a different or a culture that probably didn't get as much recognition in the superhero environment on the screen, and then into um, then into uh, the uh, Shang Chi and the seven rings and then into Ms. marvel so if you are a superhero geek there's plenty out there to go and, and catch up with amazing well pop a link in the show notes i'm sure more people would love to see that and um, so speaking of overcoming challenging childhoods uh, the second book that i was very excited to read is called what i wish i'd known when i was young about the arts and science of growing up and it's written by the hosts of a podcast called past imperfect uh, they're journalists so rachel sylvester and alice thompson and on their podcast which is well worth listening to actually they interview a lot of really successful leaders from the world of business and show business and other sectors all of whom have experienced some difficult, very traumatic experience in their past. And the podcast is very much about how they 
dealt with that, how they overcame that and, and, and how that changed them as a person and what it led them to to, to, to go on and, and, and do effectively. So the book asks this question about why there are so many successful people and in particular leaders who have experienced some kind of hardship or trauma as a child, such as bereavement or poverty or some other kind of really difficult experience. Um, and of Britain's 55 prime ministers, this is a stat they've got in the book, 25 lost one or both of their parents as a child and 69% suffered some form of serious childhood trauma. And if we wow. extrapolate that to some of the leaders that you and I have worked with and knowing a bit about some of their personal stories, I do wonder whether this is more common than people realise, that often these incredibly successful people have some quite difficult things in their past which actually have become that catalyst and fuel that have meant that they they have a spur to go on and do more and, and achieve more. Um, so it's a really, really fascinating book. It kind of analyzes the psychology of, of what that experience is, how trauma for some people, not everyone, but some people could go on and foster this burning sense of, of, of ambition, but also empathy and humanity as a leader as well. And where I think this book is really invaluable also is that I think it shows how leadership, when it's imbued with a sense of empathy and compassion and a willingness to accept your own past, uh, can actually be an incredibly powerful tool and also something that's quite an essential thing to do as a leader as we come out of the pandemic and uh, employees and, and colleagues will have very different expectations of, of what a leader looks like and, and how they operate. So that's my second recommendation. And then finally, uh, I wanted to just briefly talk about an amazing book that I read whilst on holiday called The Authority Gap, which again is by a journalist, Mary Ann Seacott. I'm probably saying her name completely wrong. Um, but she's written this phenomenal book. Um, it's called The Authority Gap, Why Women Are Still Taken Less Seriously Than Men and What We Can Do About It. And it's all about how sexism shows up in the workplace, in family life, in friendships, uh, but most importantly, it's got lots of practical actions for what you can do uh, to challenge sexism when it shows up. And it's very specific. So there's lots of recommendations right at the end of the book, which I'm just flicking through now, where you talk about things like, well, are you organising your meetings in a way that means that men get more airtime without even thinking about the, the the fact that you're doing that and as a parent what can you do say for example in our family we've got a son and we've got a daughter and it's really made me think about some of the biases that I have and am I treating them differently even though I've always said well you know we're raising them completely the same so it's fascinating it's got loads of stories in there about different people's experience of sexism there's a particularly interesting chapter about um two trans people uh, and how one of them made the 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 sort of transition to being a man and one a woman and their, their different perspectives on how they were then treated differently was absolutely fascinating uh, so again highly recommended three um, reads from me that I think are great for leaders really informative and we'll pop links to those in the show notes fantastic um, that's inspired me to go out and find something that I really want to sink my teeth into um, I like the idea of uh, of your first one as well, especially because it's linked to, to stuff that um, that I, you know, for better for or for worse, I'm a big fan of the uh, the, the Marvel universe through my children. Um, 
really I do it for myself and watch it for myself, but I claim that it's for my children. Um, I had a couple of books that I took on holiday that um, I'm not sure how much much of a lesson they're going to teach people in in, in leadership or, or what you got what they can learn from. But um, I was reading Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro, um, which I thought was was good um, and was uh, sort of a close companion to something we've talked about on the podcast before, Clara and the Sun, um, his most recent uh, book. I, I do struggle with the way he writes, though, a bit. Um, that w- it was very, very similar to in 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 sort of tone to the way that I thought um, Clara and the Sun was written, but uh, liked it. Um, and then the other one, which was a real uh, great recommendation from um, somebody uh, where I sort of put a call out on a on a WhatsApp group for for summer reads, and knowing that I was massively into my music and have uh, a sort of a deep um, and long um, a long continued love of um, grunge music and rock music, basically anything with a guitar is 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 sort of still up there in my estimation um was a book called um, everybody loves our town which is a, uh, a subtitled a history of grunge by somebody called mark yarm not mark arm from Mudhoney, but mark yarm um, and it's really interesting about the rise of of grunge and, and how that happened and how you know everybody within grunge like everyone within Britpop, absolutely hates the the, the term uh grunge but um really really good and, and the uh the reason it's so great for somebody who is struggling to come back to, to to reading is that it was all uh interviews um so it's interview snippets very very easy to read very very easy to absorb and um some really really interesting thoughts from some of the movers and shakers in the grunge world um, but Zoe, you um, you mentioned uh, the fact that we were um, going to hear from one of the authors that we spoke to. You and I um, earlier in the uh, earlier in the year read a book called Human Powered by Trenton Moss. We interviewed him earlier this year too, um, and it's a book about bringing more humanity and empathy to to leadership within organisations, based on uh, work that Trenton has done in the past, organisations that he's worked with. Um, and it was an interesting conversation that we would like to um, include a snippet of now. So I hope you enjoy this part of the conversation with Trenton. Uh, so I'd love to chat to you about your book. And obviously a big theme of Human Pad is about that um, emotional intelligence side of things. Can you tell us a bit more about why that matters? Yeah, yeah, sure. I- for me, I think emotional intelligence is the number one skill that we need in the, the modern working world. So there was, um, there was a really interesting study by um, Stanford and Harvard University, a joint study, and they found that 85% of job success comes from well-developed people skills. 85, 85%. And um, some research that we did, we found that 70% of team issues are caused by people skills deficiencies. And you know what comes at the core of really good people skills, emotional intelligence. So it's incredibly important. And having really strong emotional intelligence, if everyone within the team has that, the team is likely to thrive. And we've kind of, over the last, well, many, a few decades, we've gone from wanting to bring in potentially toxic superstars to actually wanting to have people who are really great team players. Because what we found over the last few decades is that teams consistently outperform individuals and the working world has moved to uh, a team uh, ways of working 
and matrix structured where we worked with lots of different people on a day-to-day -day basis. And with really strong emotional intelligence, it is very likely you're going to thrive in a team environment and you're going to help your team to thrive. I was going to say, so can you, can you break down what emotional intelligence means for the average leader? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think there's, there's probably three core parts to emotional intelligence. What I would say, there are three core parts. So the first one is just understanding the impact that you have. So understanding what you do that has a negative impact on others. And there's plenty of things you do to have a negative impact on others. You do, Zoe. You do, Paul. I do. If you're listening, I promise you, you do. You don't mean to because you always have the best of intentions, right? So you, you don't set out to upset or annoy or frustrate people, but you will sometimes. So understanding what it is you do that can create a negative impact for other people, that's incredibly important. And on the flip side, understanding the things that you do that have a positive impact on other people. And you probably have some idea of this, um, but for both of them, the positive and negative impacts that you have, the best way of finding out is, uh, this is crazy, ask, just ask people that you work with. And it's just, you know, asking those two simple questions, you know, what do I do that has a negative impact on you or other people? And what do I do that creates value to you, brings, you know, adds value to our relationship. And of course, you know, the people that you talk to, got to there's got to be trust there. And it's got to be people that um, are very comfortable talking, are very comfortable being honest with you. And so hopefully if you've created an environment where people are comfortable being open and honest with you, then you'll be able to get some good answers. So yeah, when it comes to emotional intelligence, it's about, first of all, knowing yourself and the impact you have on others. And the second part of it then, is about understanding other people and always assuming the best of intentions. So in the same way that you, without meaning to, upset, annoy and frustrate people from time to time, maybe sometimes a lot, maybe mostly just a little bit, other people will upset, frustrate or annoy you. And it is extremely unlikely that they want to do that or that they set out to do that. So rather than getting you know, consumed with negative feelings about you know, what other people are doing and the negative impact they're having on you, Try to empathize. Take some time to try to understand where they're coming from. Work through the initial kind of unhappiness and move on to try to understand, you know, what are their actual intentions? Because their intention is not to annoy you. Their intention is something else. So, yeah, so three things for emotional intelligence. You know, knowing the impact that you have on others. Um, always assuming the best of intentions in other people. And then always thinking about what you and other people are looking for. And then... Um, taking an equal stand for both. So, you know, come, always coming up with win-win outcomes, basically. So anytime you meet with someone or have an interaction with someone or have a conversation with someone, what is it that you want to do, think, or feel as a result of the conversation? And then what is it they want to do, think, or feel? And if you really start to define that, again, people are going to really enjoy working with you because they're going to feel that you're taking a stand for them succeeding. And it's going to really show your emotional intelligence as, as scoring higher because you're taking the time to think about what you want and think about what the other person wants. And is there something here about um, how people can maybe build their confidence with emotional intelligence if they're, if they're a bit nervous about doing it? Those three tips that you gave, I think, are so helpful and a great place to begin. Is there anything else which people can do to keep growing that muscle? Yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's those, for me, if you just boil it all down to three core things, I think that's always a nice way of doing things. It is that. And 
it's like if you write that down, you know, obviously mostly remote working, stick that up on a post-it note on, on your wall at home or your monitor and just have that there as a constant reminder. And then in your team meetings and, you know, when if you work with groups, kind of define cultures and ways of working, try to bring these things in. Other things that are helpful is to bring in, um, bring in a culture of continuous feedback. So get rid of, get rid of annual reviews, which I don't really understand why organizations are still doing these. They've been, no one enjoys them. And there's been countless studies about them to show their ineffectiveness. Uh, and rather than having annual reviews, have a culture of in the moment feedback. So in everything you do, in every interaction you have with people, maybe at the end of the week or, end of, or, or at certain times, and you say to someone, hey, I just want to get some feedback. You know, we've been interacting over the past week or you attended a workshop I ran, whatever it might be. Um, Tell me what what was it I did that had a that had a positive impact that made this work really well for you? Okay, great. And and what did I do that made things harder for you? And if you can bring in a culture that supports people doing that and that has psychological safety, again, that's how you grow emotional intelligence too, because you learn about yourself and the impact you're having, and you learn more about other people and where they're coming from. And then we're all of us are kind of like part firefighters, part arsonists. So. You know, we're constantly firefighting, loads of things to do, like pressure to get things done. But then on the occasions where things let off, we kind of start our own fires then. Um, and we're, we're very reluctant. I think there's almost like a culture, you know, in the working world generally, this real reluctance to have true downtime. And like I say, just going for a walk with someone else or even just by yourself. But if going for a 20, 30 minute walk every day, it's just give you that proper downtime where you have nothing to think about and you're not focusing on anything. Oh, it's, it's so important if you can if you can keep doing that. When we uh, f- first spoke a few weeks ago, Trenton, we talked about um, how this whole notion of, of leadership uh, has in itself really shifted over the last few years where everyone is a leader in some way now. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, command and control is kind of dead, right? I mean, well, it, it does live on in some corporates and with some people, but it's it's pretty well known nowadays that command and control is not the way to go anymore. And so, you know, previously we were very hierarchical, very siloed. And if you wanted, if you had a good idea or you wanted something to get done, you kind of had to ask permission from your boss who asked permission, who asked permission. And anyone in that chain could be having a bad day and just say, nah, nah, don't agree with that. And, and that's changed. And the, the, um, the businesses born in the internet era, the likes of Google and Amazon, um, they're winning. One of the main reasons they're winning is the operating models that they came up with. And they were like, wait, this whole hierarchical thing, command and control, that's just not a good way of doing it. Let's, let's push down decision making because the people who've got the best ideas, you know who they are? It's not the guys in, the, in their ivory tower in the boardroom with no clue of what's really going on. It's the people on the ground. And so more and more businesses nowadays have been pushing down that decision-making, decentralizing decision-making to everyone. And this means that everyone, assuming you're in an organization that's done this, everyone is able to contribute to the organization's success. And because we work much more in matrix models, cross-functional teams with stakeholders, with clients, um, we all have to lead and inspire others. It's, it's, it's just part of work. So that's why for me, people skills and emotional intelligence is so important because we don't work in our silos anymore. 
when we last spoke, we also talked about meetings, didn't we? And before we started recording today, I was having a bit of a, a moan, um, entirely my fault for having committed myself to way too many Zooms this, this week. And this is a bit of a theme of your book, Human Powered, isn't it? You talk quite a lot about how to make those meetings more, more meaningful and more productive. Uh, and of course, when when not to have meetings as well, I suppose is the, the other skill, isn't it? Uh, so is, what can you recommend about how to make meetings more successful? You, you really need to think about whether you need a meeting or not. Um, and you should only do a meeting if three things are true. So number one, if your objective is to solve a problem. Um, number two, if it's likely that two or more people will have actions. And number three, if it's quite a complex debate about a contentious topic. And honestly, most meetings don't tick any of those. And if you can't say yes to any of those, don't call a meeting. Do an asynchronous chat over Teams or maybe have a quick chat with someone else or whatever it might be. But just get things going outside of actually having a meeting. And if we all did this, then we would have far fewer meetings. If you do need to have a meeting, if it is genuinely the best way of communicating around that topic, then think about the absolute minimum people you need to come. So maybe you need one person from this team, one person from that team, and one person from that team. And that's it. Don't invite everyone from all three teams. Instead, contact the three team leads individually and say, right, I'm having this meeting. I want to keep the numbers down to make sure that it's an efficient meeting and a useful meeting. Who's the one person from your team who will be best to attend, who can then relay everything back to your team, who maybe can work with your team beforehand to get everyone's input and then can represent your team in the meeting. So thank you to Trenton for, for joining us earlier in the year and uh, apologies it's taken us this long to get to the books episode where we can include it. Thank you so much to Trenton. That was really interesting and we hope our listeners enjoyed it as well with our book recommendations. We will be back very soon for season six. We have some very exciting guests lined up. We can't wait uh, to share them with you. So stand by for new episodes this autumn. And as usual, please leave us your feedback. If you use a podcast app where you can rate and review, please do so. It means a lot and it will really help us um, push us up the rankings and all that good stuff. So um, also share your plans, ideas or questions, people that you'd like us to, to talk to. Um, we're going to try a few different um, things this year, some shorter episodes, some, some more um, uh, sort of quick, snappy interviews. Um, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at starts at the top one. That starts at the top one. And email us at starts at the top podcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. We'll speak to you soon. Speak to you soon.